Welcome to Let's Talk Shop, a podcast filled with business stories and practical advice for the product-based entrepreneur. My name is Therese and I help small business owners grow their wholesale. I hope that the stories and advice shared on this podcast will inspire action and help you build your business. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 1. Thank you so much for tuning in to this first episode. It means so, so, so much to me and I am really, really excited about the season ahead. My first guest today is Antonia from Tinker Taylor. Antonia runs a beautiful lifestyle boutique in North London and I'm so, so thankful that she agreed to be a guest. I really enjoyed our chat. I... I'm so thankful to Antonia for being so open and sharing her thoughts with us and I really really hope that you will enjoy this episode. Hello Antonia, welcome to Let's Talk Shop. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I interviewed Antonia for my blog earlier in the year where I asked just five questions, sometimes a few bonus ones and I'm so excited to have you on the show to find out more about you and your story. It would be great if you can start off by telling us a little bit more about yourself and your business and how you came to be a shopkeeper. Hello, Therese. Uh, thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure to take time out of my day for a chat. Thank you for the introduction. So I'm Antonia. I live in London with my husband and three daughters, and I'm the founder of a lifestyle brand called Tinker Taylor, which currently includes one store in uh, Enfield, where we live, and we have an online farm as well. Yes, it's all very much a work in progress. We're nearly two years old and just kind of finding our way, really. Yeah, it's scary to open a shop and it must have been a big step. Did you open your online shop before you opened your brick and mortar shop? No, I didn't. It all sort of came together at once. And if anything, uh, the online shop is still secondary to my bricks and mortar side of the business. Partly that is because there's only one of me and I do everything. <laughs> I do have a couple of members of staff who are fantastic and they help me with the day-to-day -day kind of standing behind the counter, you know, running of the shop. But yeah, I mean, there is so much to do that, you know, in the end, you just really focus on the people who are coming through the door. Yeah, so definitely the online shop is something that's pending for me in terms of it being what I want it to be, but, you know, working on it. <laughs> it's like that. You can't do everything at once, though, when it's, you know, a one-woman band, more or less. Even with some help in the shop, it's still you making all the decisions and doing all the development and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea. When I opened, I was like, yeah, you know, I will have the shop and that'd be great. And then I'll do the online side of things. And then it was like, whoa okay, I really don't, uh, I'm not great at the back end of Shopify either. So, you know, that takes longer than, sorry, it would do for somebody who's completely, you know, trained in that kind of background. And yeah, there's just all these things that on the surface you think would be really simple do actually take a lot more time. And obviously there's only limited amount of time in every day. So at the moment, the bricks and mortar shop is kind of a very hungry beast, financially speaking. So you know, we have to cover our overheads. And so, yeah, my, my focus is on that. But the rest is coming. It's okay. It will all come together. Absolutely. I mean, it's all a work in progress, isn't it? It's not never ending. So true. So why did you want to open a shop? What made you want to do that? Well, it, 
this probably sounds a bit cliched, but I just loved playing shops when I was a child. And I do really enjoy shopping and I enjoy shopping experiences that are a bit are a bit different. So like these days going into to going down to Oxford Street and entering Topshop, for example, like I can't even cope with the idea of that. Um, nothing against Topshop in particular. It's just, you know, the noise, how busy it is. It's just not the way I want to shop anymore. So there was that kind of thing, just a f- an underlying feeling that maybe I could do it differently or do it my own way. So, yeah, so it was kind of that, oh, I've really wanted to do it, but I've never felt brave enough until I was in my mid-30s. Uh, so I was kind of working up to that in the background. Then I had always wanted to work for myself. So it's just a combination of things, really. And then ultimately, uh, within my local area, I just, I couldn't shop in the way I wanted to. So the independent boutiques selling the kind of gifty items, small brands that I was looking for just didn't really exist. So I actually felt that I could bring something to the area and fill a gap in the market. Yeah, and independent shops, they kind of become a part of the community, almost like a community hub in a way now. So it's it's nice to have that in your local area. I think it, nice independent shops makes the whole high street better somehow and more enjoyable yeah I think they do actually they're you know I mean we see it all the time they people just walk in and just say oh you know this is my haven or I've come to relax or I need to take a bit of time out you know and sometimes it's a bit like offering therapy to the community you know because obviously we've all had busy days or whatever and things happen good things and bad things and it's that kind of having that human connection and being able to share that oh well you know you'll never believe what just happened to me with somebody who you just know you know works in the shop where you're going for your coffee because actually we're a lifestyle store so we're a coffee shop and a gift shop and we do creative workshops so you know you get to know local people and they just feel like they can come and have a you know quick coffee and unload and it's nice to be able to give back in that way yeah I think that's so true actually I also get really stressed when I have to not have to I suppose when I go and shop on the high street in the big high street shop I will would also avoid the likes of you know top shop and I don't know urban outfitters and that I mean I go every season to have a look at what they're stocking from a work point of view but it's not really to enjoy shopping as such whereas if I go to my local independent shop it's like a timeout. it's lovely it is a different experience isn't it and you know obviously big stores have their place but I just I just feel really overwhelmed so I can normally do about two or three stores and then I'm like okay I'm out. that's it I'm a very good online shopper though so I think there's that kind of being able to be calm and you know have a chilled relaxed approach to purchasing I think makes a difference and actually I think you consider what you buy a lot more you think about it and you know I think you're less likely to impulse buy um, from an independent or from you know from if you're feeling calm and centered and enjoying the experience I think you can make those more considered purchases and feel good about what you bought because I think there's a obviously there's a lot of conversation at the moment about buying um, responsibly yeah I think that's so important. What did you do before you opened your shop? Oh my goodness, I did all sorts of things. But I trained as an early years teacher. 
so I, I had actually tried to start several other businesses before and then eventually I just found myself with a teaching career which I did really enjoy and it fitted into my life quite well when my children were very young but then I ended up going into a mainstream school and I just found that really really hard and I was just at this crossroads where I just thought okay I'm not enjoying this I'm finding it really hard it's having quite a negative impact on my my life my family so I either make this my career and I continue down this path for the next 30 years until I retire or um or I do something about it and I decided to do something about it. I think my um, my 40th birthday was somewhere in the distance and I think that had something to do with it. It was one of those like, well, it's now or never really. So I just decided to just put it into action. And then, you know, I had that, I, I suppose, it, you know, again, quite cliched, but I had the, that watershed moment of the only thing stopping me from having a go at making this dream in inverted commas come true or, you know, make this life that I desire a reality was me, you know. I was always insecure. I was always scared about how, well, like, how do you open a shop? Or like, how would you, you know, who would collect your rubbish? How would you pay the rent? Oh my goodness. Everything was so overwhelming. And then I just sort of, I always say, I just sort of jumped off the edge. (laughs) And I somehow, yeah, found the courage to do it and just, well, what's the worst that could happen? And I decided to give it a go and not never looked back really so enjoyable to work for yourself and try to build something even if it's really hard and sometimes you question why you do it it's still really satisfying yeah and I just love the freedom and I mean it's freedom in an odd way really because you're not really free because in reality you very rarely have a day off you never really switch off there's always something to do I mean I probably get up at 6am more often than I did before like you know a normal (laughs) nine to five job so you know you'll often find me at six o'clock in the morning at the wholesaler picking up you know supplies for the coffee shop side of things and you know Sunday afternoons and you know stuff goes wrong and you have to be there whatever time of the day it is you know but then at the same time I can to a certain degree choose my hours and you know can be very flexible and it's just you know that that just means a lot to me and then also you know there's this whole world of opportunity out there you know I have the freedom to create whatever I like whether it works out or not it's a different story but that's just a great place to be and I I feel privileged to be in that position yeah that sounds really good and at least when you're working hard and getting up early or working in the weekend you're doing it for you rather than for someone else yeah and I mean I and even just things that from a lifestyle point of view you know that, that I could go to the gym if I wanted to I don't but you know I could go to the gym at like 9am and start my day at 10 or like fresh from the gym and all that kind of stuff I need to work on that because that's one of the things that I said right well when when I stop you know teaching this is what I'm going to do you know I'm going to do yoga class and not quite achieve those things but you know but I could if I wanted to and I put my mind to it and that you know that is well it's a privilege you know I'm very lucky to be able to do that I mean in reality I'm normally just delivering milk to the shop and folding laundry and then thinking about tackling my emails that's the reality but the possibility's there <laughs> yeah no it is and if your kids has a school activity or something you can be there if you want to you can move things around 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. You know, I don't have to... I mean, gosh, the years that I would send my children into school sick and just say, just go in for registration and get them to call me at work because it's easier for me to, you know, get called from the school and leave, you know, get the phone call and work than it is for me to phone up at 7.30 and say, sorry, I can't come in, my child's sick. Because, you know, we're still a long way from the workplace being a very flexible and understanding place of other commitments. So, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I sent my children into school. So does everyone, you know, really poorly. And I don't have to do that anymore. So that's, you know, a fantastic place to be. And I don't take it for granted. No, because you've been on the other side. So you know that. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the high street then, because we all heard how it's struggling, uh, both small and large retailers, what do you do to get the shoppers in through the doors? Oh, all sorts of things, really. Uh, Social media is obviously a big part of the picture. I just want to say it's not the only thing you can do because I think it's very easy as a new and small business to get tied up in knots about like well if my Instagram's amazing and on point and I have loads of followers I'm going to have lots you know get lots of sales that's not quite true but it does help it definitely helps to tell a story I try to be very open uh, in terms of showing what's going on behind the scenes so just recently well, not just recently, still to this day, I have a leak in my shop and the weather. So we're recording this in June, end of June. The weather has been horrific. It's not stopped raining for weeks and weeks and weeks. And when it rains outside, it's raining inside my shop. And I can't just get it fixed because I'm a leaseholder. So the landlord has to fix it. Anyway, it's sort of boring and long winded, but I haven't hidden that from my followers Sorry, I don't like saying followers. But anyway, the people who follow my story on Instagram, I have made that part of, you know, my day-to-day chat. So um, I like to mix in aspirational images of our product with also some behind-the-scenes realness. Because I think, I mean, for me, it's very much about... In terms of, you know, my Tinker Tailor, uh, for us, it's about achievable style, basically accessible style and everyday luxury. And I just think sometimes that very polished, unattainable brand that you can't get to is not very relatable. So I try and be relatable. I think that's great. I really enjoy connecting with people. And, you know, where I feel that there's a connection with what they're telling on, on social media, Exactly, yeah. It's just when it's not all glitzy because I I find that really hard to relate to. And I kind of want to know, I think we all want to know now who we're buying from. If we are going to be buying from an independent brand or shop, we want to know more. We don't want to just know that it it exists. We want to know the behind the scenes a little bit. Exactly. So you very concisely put what I was trying to say. So I try and make a real life connection because also that thing that comes up quite regularly on social media about, you know, every time it's like um, it's like a Pinterest quote and it said every time you buy from a small uh, or from an independent business, somebody does a happy dance. And it is so true. I mean, sometimes, you know, a couple of sales can make or break my day. I mean, Every single one is important to me and genuinely makes a difference to paying salaries, to keeping the doors open. So, yeah, so I just try and be very, you know, accessible and also real, but also present really lovely product. And then just to go back to your other question, things that work really well are events, in-store events. I think people like to, again, it's a way of making a connection, doing something different. 
um, telling your customers that something's happening, that you're a dynamic brand. They they are very successful and definitely drive a lot of business our way. So they're my two main, I would say, things that I do to get people in store. And then something that I did really take for granted in the early days um, was traditional media. Actually, flyers can work really well. You know, advertising in local publications. Facebook's been quite useful. I know that's social media, but I think everybody just thinks... Oh, Facebook, you know, that's old, it's boring, I don't like it, because I think a lot of us, certainly a lot of people my age, so I'm just 40 now, got real in Facebook fatigue and just left and found Instagram or, or not at all, or just don't engage at all. But actually, there are some really good local community groups on there, and um, I advertise there and I genuinely see people come in the shop and say, oh, I follow you on this you know, on this page. And that's why I've come to visit. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I don't use Facebook as social media the same way. But I do. I'm part of quite a few groups. And I'm quite active in some of them. And one of them is like my local area. So I'm in a TW postcode. And it's other business owners there. And everyone on Mondays, I think it is everyone sort of can promote their businesses. And I almost always read them through even if I you know it's not necessarily that I need a website designer or that I need well I probably do need to go to Pilates classes but you know you remember those things and when you do look for those I would definitely turn to that group before I just went on and booked something random or bought something random yeah so I think uh, Facebook is a bit of a, a dark horse I mean obviously people who are amazing at marketing know this already but I think for you know if you're new to it then just don't because you just hear it all the time oh, I hate Facebook but I don't like Facebook oh well you know whatever I don't use it as social media but I do find as a business tool it's actually really effective and and yeah just going back to what I was saying about how I try and be honest and open and upfront about the behind the scenes of my business I think people do really connect with that because I, I do get people again come in and they'll say, oh yeah, how's this? Because I follow you on Instagram and I saw that this was happening or, you know, or I wanted to buy this thing because you showed it to me. And yeah, it's, I think definitely being relatable in whatever medium you use is helpful. Yeah, I think that's so not true. And I think one other thing that lots of people don't do on social media, it's almost become a little bit taboo to actually sell on social media, but, you know, to actually promote yourself. But I think that's what you have to do. You know, you have to remember to actually push your product. I fail so majorly in that area. I definitely need to up my game. Maybe you can coach me. (laughs) But I did actually access some business coaching a while ago. And uh, this lady who was like a marketing digital expert, she said, oh, I really love your your Instagram. Your images are beautiful. And, you know, know, you've got some great product. But she said, but you're not really selling anything to me. So then I was like, oh, right. So I just have these beautiful images of like, you know, like I say, we're a coffee shop and we're also a gift shop. So there'd be like a beautiful coffee and maybe a handbag that we were selling. It'd be this gorgeous flat lay. And I'd just be waffling on about like, oh, you know, autumn is here and whatever, you know, have a great day. And she's like, but why aren't you telling me that your handbag is like made in Italy and that the leather is, you know, for example, the leather is whatever and that your beans are ground from, you know, come from this roaster. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot I'm supposed. To, this is what I'm here for, and I completely forgot to do that. <laughs> I think that's so common, though. I actually see a lot 
from a wholesale point of view, I see a lot of people, they send me their sort of pitch email template and um, a lot of them then forget to say what they actually sell. They will go on about their brand and be really chatty and they will show that they researched a business out there targeting, but they will completely forget what their actual products are. Yeah, and I think because uh, maybe it's because I think it's actually two reasons really why that happens is, you know, one, that Instagram is geared towards community and friendship and it is supposed to be really chatty and that kind of thing. And also not everyone's a salesperson, you know, um, I'm not I'm not a salesperson. <laughs> I should be, and I'm not. That's not you know. That's not my background. So you need to learn those things as a small business, don't you? Yeah, and I think there's a certain discomfort around selling yeah. um, in a way that, for instance, people in the US aren't. They're really comfortable with selling themselves, selling their products. I think in Britain we're a lot more reserved, and you just think, oh, people won't like me if I start selling my product. And yeah, and then Instagram is geared so much towards being visual that. You just, you know, and you're so close to your product, you know what you sell, but you you forget that you have to communicate that all the time. Yeah, you think a, a pretty image is enough to sell. That's like you selling, but actually you can't be as subtle as that all the time. No. But also people are scrolling through. If you're talking about social media in particular, generally speaking, people are scrolling through. So they're like, oh, yeah, that's a nice picture, whatever, like, move on, whatever, you know. I need some coaching in that department for sure. <laughs> yeah, we all do that. <laughs> I, I, I'm no social media expert whatsoever. I could probably need coaching in that too. <laughs> so with uh, suppliers and wholesale suppliers to you, since you run workshops, is it your suppliers that you invite to run them? Who Who's your workshops by? Yeah, it's a real mix, actually. Uh, but generally speaking, somebody will approach me or I'll have. Uh, so it's normally people who just run workshops for a living or as their side hustle. So they tend to get in touch with me. And then if it's a good fit and we can work, you know, work it out financially, make it financially viable, then we'll go ahead. Other times I'll just reach out using various different channels, often a Facebook group that I'll be in or something. So yeah, it's a, it, it tends not to be suppliers. And that's not to say that I wouldn't be open to that. It's just not a situation that has arisen for me. But yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it'll be customer driven. So they'll say, what kinds of workshops do you do? Oh, I'd like to do X, Y, and Z. And then I try and find somebody that will fit that bill. Well, that's nice. But if it, so if it, one of your suppliers or maybe a new supplier that was more of a maker where to get in touch with you and say this is me this is what I do I also run workshops if you stock me I would happily run a workshop in your space is that something that would maybe give them a sort of an edge if obviously if they product fit in with your product yeah I mean I think it it would you know yes definitely I mean it's definitely something I'd be open to and I think also that's the beauty of being small businesses is that you can really be reactive to whatever's happening and you can um, create tailor made you know I don't know what to call them deals <laughs> with your teachers makers whatever you know I think flexibility is so important but yeah that's definitely something that would help and again it's just about getting people through the door like from my perspective um obviously it has to be financially viable as well because I and I, I have found this in the past with people who do do workshops is that they're not always sensitive to what it would cost me and the impact it would have for me to run a workshop or you know 
be the host of a workshop because, you know, I have tables that are allocated to, you know, for people having coffee and lunches and cake. So there's a value to that space. Plus everything I have to pay. So sometimes it can be difficult to say to somebody, well, you need to build in my fee into that or my, you know, build in the fact that I can't just afford to give my space for free. So, you know, it needs to be mutually beneficial. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always really open to having conversations and having people do workshops because I think it's it's helpful for everybody. And again, it helps the consumer to get closer to both brands, you know, be it mine or whoever is coming in to teach calligraphy or macrame or whatever it is, because I think that's very much the way that things are going. So if you're not buying online, you want an experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think that lots of big, lots of the bigger shops could probably learn from the smaller guys doing that. I think smaller shops are more open to that sort of thing and you have so much more flexibility. The problem is if all the big shops start doing it, which they are a bit, they get in there, we just can't compete on the budgets and things like that. So we don't want them to get too familiar. (laughs) That is true. That is true. I think Anthropology has been doing workshops for quite some time. Yeah, they have for a long time. Um, You know, and they do it really well. But then, of course, then they've got an edge in terms of pricing and things like that. And they don't always have to pay their people that do them. No, because of the exposure. And then you're just always the little guy. <laughs> just like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I used to work in a book publisher and we had uh, one of our amazing authors. She was super creative. And she did a couple of workshops with anthropology. But I doubt, I'm I'm guessing they only paid for the actual materials. They, you know, and then they charged the attendees. So it probably didn't cost them that much. No, that's it. So it's just, it's hard to be competitive all the time, you know, but we keep going. We keep going because it does work. You know, it it, it is effective. So um, yeah, mustn't lose heart. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. So how do you find new products? Okay, so I would probably say that social media is quite a big influence or, you know, helps me to find new people. So as much as I want to get away from Instagram, <laughs> it's quite because a lot happens there. I like to visit other stores. So whenever I can, I like to visit other independent stores who, you know, because it's it's just always good to see what's out there. And sometimes you come across brands that, you know, and you know, are not stocked in your area that you could then bring into your store. So yeah, other retailers, social media, and then I do actually really like top drawer. So I always try and make the effort to go to Top Draw. I mean, we're in London, so it's just easy to go to that one. But yeah, I'd say they're my sort of three channels. Yeah. I also feel that Top Draw is not too big, not too small. It's kind of the right size to be able to get around. Yeah, although it's still exhausting. I always feel like I need two days and a... But yeah, Top Draw, and it's good for having meetings in advance. And then, you know, people do pitch to me all the time via email. And, you know, it, that that is effective as well. When you um, find suppliers on social media, does it have any impact on like how many followers or how they present themselves on social media? Does that impact your decision, do you think, at all? No, not not the followers. I mean, on occasion, I've brought in a product that's got a lot of love on social media because it because of me being a fairly unique business within my area. To then be the stockist who has that product is quite useful. 
so I have done that a couple of times. But generally speaking, the margin will be quite poor with that kind of product. So it's almost a loss leader. That aside, no, followers makes no difference to me whatsoever. Obviously, the presentation has to be, you know, like I'd, I'd like the, the feed to look aspirational, look nice, look like it would fit in with my shop. Yeah, so I think if, if it looks like our products would align and our brands look like they they could work well together, then that helps. Yeah, so because I, I know it's, it's only a very superficial judgment, but I find that if your website's messy and your social media's messy, then I'm a bit like, well, I don't really know what you're about. So it's quite nice to just, I think we're so programmed to not look too deeply into anything anymore. No, if I find a new brand and I'm like, oh, that's nice. Or if I'm not very clear, if, if the branding and the message is not jumping out at me, looking mm. at the first few squares, then, I, then I'm like, mm, might take me a bit longer to come around and I'm just being completely honest it's not that doesn't mean that the product's not valid or that it's not good or that we couldn't work well together but when you're trying to make snap decisions because I mean I must get about on average I think I probably get about three pictures a day into my inbox for you know can you stop you know would you like to stock my product via email then I get some dms via instagram and one thing and another so and there's only you know we are just one shop and there's only a limited amount of stock I can stock um I can stock so you know I just I can't say yes to everything and everyone so it has to be right and if you simplify that decision making process by being really clear about what you're about then that yeah that helps massively yeah and I guess you can only have time to deal with so many stockists uh, so many suppliers too because each supplier you take on takes time there's only so much time you have in general yeah, and then I've got obviously the food side of our business, which is obviously one that I'm not discussing here because it's a slightly different thing. But yeah, all of you know, there's there's all of that side as well. Yeah, it takes a lot of time, I'm sure. Yeah, that I have to sort of buy and curate, and you know, invoice and well, pay invoices, <laughs> I should say. Absolutely. And how often would you say that you launch new products in store? All the time. So there's no, but again, because we are small, it's all very much like, well, I'd like to stock this now, or I have a gap over here. So I will just go out and buy whenever, all the time. Um, so I don't have a set season. I mean, obviously, coming up to Christmas, so autumn, obviously, I go out and do a lot of buying then because you have to have a very good range of stock. Um, so that would be a peak season, but I don't forward buy. I mean, in all honesty, my business just doesn't work that way. I don't have an unlimited pot of money that I can just say, all oh, right, well, in July, I'm going to forward buy all of this stuff. I can't do that. So, yes, yeah, so it's all very much smallish orders all of the time. And also because the core of our business is, you know, bricks and mortar and people are coming through the door. You know, I very often get people in who come in regularly and they'll say, oh, what's new then? Or oh, any, any new stock, anything? You know, people want newness all the time. Yeah. So you have to keep satisfying that because it's so instant everything now. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a few core lines that I keep in stock all the time, but then the rest is very fluid. And how can, what, what can a small business, apart from being very clear about what they're about, how can they stand out and be noticed by you as a retail buyer? Um, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but flexibility really helps. So if you can, you know, do a, a sample order, like a small sample order just to test 
about the product, that's really helpful. If you can offer payment terms, which I know for small businesses is not always possible, but obviously we're like two small businesses trying to work together. So, you know, if you can offer payment terms, um, that helps being able to test the product. Um, and then just availability of stock. So I, I, I appreciate I probably sound like a nightmare if you're a maker. <laughs> you know if if every few months or every few weeks i can just say all right well i need like you know 10 units of whatever can you do it and it's there then that's that's amazing that that would help me to keep coming back particularly if it's selling well of course yeah and also that you know you buy more in more confidence that way because i always say if you can cut your lead times a little bit more and have slightly shorter ones you are you know, once you do wholesale, you can get a couple of extra orders in that busy time for Christmas. That can make a huge impact on both businesses, I suppose, both the supplier and the retailer. Yeah, I think the, the main thing is just to try and have a relationship with your suppliers and stockists, you know, just, yeah, just sort of keep the channels really open and just being able to be flexible. So, you know, if you can't do terms right away, then, but if you could offer like, a week or two weeks or something you know just to you know just 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 being a bit flexible mm. and being able to fit into the needs of kind of cater to the needs of both businesses I mean there's definitely a way to make things work you know you can always work something out I think it's always nice when you can have that two-way communication you have your rules everyone has their terms and conditions but then that when you have a stockist that is happy to give you feedback and you know you come to something that agree on something that works for both of you that's always nice I think yeah yeah definitely I mean some of my best-selling products are made by people I consider to be my friends now you know who I've met since I started this business of mine so um you know I mean it can't be like that with everybody but you know it does it does really help because then it opens up opportunities for collaborations and you know just more of a shared you know way of working that's beneficial to everyone yeah and how how big of a decision do you think margin comes into it because you said some of those sort of super hot products they they don't always come with very good margin but what yeah and I mean understandably so because you know they're still small businesses but yeah I mean I do I do really need 50 percent yeah yeah and I think a lot of people do have this that a lot of smaller supplier contact you and they offer 50% off the RRP, but they don't take into account VAT. Do you get that a lot? Yeah. And then also, you know, if they're not VAT registered, it means I can't claim VAT back. So what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that sometimes I buy from a small business and they're not VAT registered, but I still have to pay VAT on that sale. So it can get complicated, not complicated, but it just means that I'm not making what I need to and my outgoings are just so expensive, so high, you know? Yeah, I think that's true. That's why often when I work one-on-one with people, I say you need to be able to offer a 50% discount off the XVAT price so that the retailer you're trying to sell to doesn't have to take the hit on the fact that you're not VAT registered. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because from like from my point of view, I feel like I'm incur- incurring a lot of cost to sell a product that's not really you know making money, and it, you know, <laughs> and I'm making money to keep my business afloat. It's not like you know I'm not Sir Philip Graham. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think that if you have that 
margin that you know works for you, then you are more likely to merchandise it in a good location. You're more likely to push the product. Whereas if you know that you have less of a margin, it makes it harder to really push that product, I think. It's just, you know, a few times I've had some, you know, a particular brand that's an Instagram hit and then you know the minimum order is fairly high so you sort of shell out for that and then you're only taking like 25 to 30 percent you're like well what's the point you know yeah that doesn't even cover your staffing probably and rent (laughs) no so so there are some brands that I'd really love to stock but it just doesn't work and so then you just have to say right well you know we just can't can't really do it and you know there are challenges on both sides you know there's no there's no good guy or bad guy here we're just all trying to <laughs> make our businesses work. Absolutely. I think if you can't offer that as a supplier, you probably maybe are not ready quite yet to start wholesaling. Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. If you can take into account that your stockist is going to have, most likely going to have to pay VAT, you need to factor that into your pricing. And at one stage, as you grow your business as a supplier, you probably have to register too. And your material cost and the people that you're buying in materials from probably, you know, you could be claiming that back when once you register too. So Yes, absolutely. So what's your top tips for building a long-lasting relationship with you as a retailer? Um, I think if you can get some face-to-face time or even phone calls, I think that really helps. It's all about communicating, really. Just trying to be, you know, really open popping in a phone call every now and again, or even a friendly email. I mean, I've got one supplier in particular, and he messages me with offers quite regularly. Sometimes I reply, sometimes I don't. But, you know, we just have also friends on Instagram. (laughs) So, yeah, for me, it's about sort of human communications, you know, sorry, human contact. I think that's really nice because a lot of people are very worried about phoning their stockists. And I think... It's actually, you know, it goes a long way to just have that human contact instead of just being a virtual thing. And I think we all just really need to open our eyes and get on board with the fact that one phone call is much quicker than five emails. Yeah. And the tone comes across right away. Yeah, but also, you know, it'll be like, oh, do you want some new stock? Uh, Actually, no, not yet, but maybe in three weeks. Yeah, call me then. You know, end of. Whereas if it, an email you'll be like oh hi yeah just got their new collection just wondering if you're interested you know it just all takes ages whereas just one phone call it's much more time efficient but I think culturally we just all need to get on board with this because we're all like anti-phone calls aren't we yeah we are and it's so easy it's I mean once you do it I know I completely understand where the discomfort comes from but most people I phone on my day-to-day are very happy for me to phone. Even if they don't have time, they will just say, no, I don't need anything, don't really have time for a chat, and that's it. But, you know, a few weeks later, they will maybe need something. And I think it's just much easier than to have the difficult conversations on her payment terms or, you know, or even asking for it. Because from my point of view as well, you know, sometimes I have to ask for payment terms, uh, and that's, that feels really awkward for me because it's, yeah like asking credit from people's like a horrible thing to do but you know it's necessary and I think we also sorry just going back to this 
credit terms, which I've talked about before, I think we're all a bit emotionally, certainly if you're on my side, I think we bring emotions of uh, what debt means in your personal life is completely different to what it means in business. And I think because a lot of us are small businesses or independent, new, you know, new to it, independent makers and that kind of thing, all of those things were so awkward to have those conversations, but but they're necessary to, you know, push your business forward. Well, we have to take the emotions out of things sometimes and just be, you know, this is what my business need. How can we meet in the middle somewhere? Yeah, which is why I think talking and, you know, meeting people at trade shows and trying to make those appointments um, are really important. Yeah, and I think as a supplier, you can show that you are proactive and you want to make the relationship work by staying in touch and, you know, being flexible. And I think, you know, sometimes I've said no to something, but it's like, it's no today, but it's not no forever. So I think it's all right if you're, you know, if you are a maker, to just approach that person again later on you know it, it's maybe it's a no now but it's not a no next week um and that happens there are times when i think oh yeah i really like that product but um i don't actually need jewelry for example right now because i just placed an order and you know but maybe i'll try it in a few months coming up christmas season so i think try not to feel disheartened you know some will some won't you just have to kind of have that approach I always say that you have to be persistent in a non-annoying way (laughs) which is hard to do there's probably an art to that but yeah but I mean you know the thing is just to send an email make a phone call doesn't take too much effort and it's not that much effort for the other person either no and then eventually one one will land won't it or but yeah I have that all the time where brands approach me and and I can't go with it because it's, you know, not the timing's not right or, you know, or I just don't have that kind of money sitting in my bank account right now to purchase new stock. But mm. in three weeks' time, I might, you know, three months' time. So, And it's it's not that I don't like the product or that I don't want to stock it. It's just that I can't at this moment. Yeah. Um, sometimes I don't like the product <laughs> as well. Well, well, of course, and sometimes it just doesn't fit in with, you and your shop yeah that's it. so I think um, yeah I think honesty on both parts is also important I have people sometimes approach me and say oh I'd love to be stocked by you here's my product and it's not you know it, our brands don't align at all or they you know from a style perspective they don't look like a good fit so then I just think I wish you'd had a look <laughs> before you know before sending me this lovely long email because you know you can kind of from the outset see that it's not really gonna work I mean we can save each other quite a lot of time by doing that and then maybe you wouldn't you know if everyone that was selling something did that then maybe we would all get a few more replies to our emails (laughs) well the thing is my anxiety as well is that I hate saying no I can't I find it really hard to say no and then I think oh god I wish you'd just checked this because then I wouldn't have to say no to you. <laughs> I don't want to do because then I, I mean, this that's obviously completely my issue. But I think, oh, because I know what it means to, you know, build something from nothing and you want everybody to like it because you love it and it's your passion and it's what you do. So then for somebody to say, no, it's not right, it does feel like a tiny wound, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's worse being ignored, I think. Yeah, that's true. A lot of people 
I, I have people saying to me weekly, you know, my Facebook group or, or on Instagram, oh, I sent out so many emails now, but no one's getting back to me. And that is really scary for them. Mm. And they sometimes they just feel like, oh, what's the point? <laughs> yeah, I think we probably should all be better at giving feedback and giving honest feedback. Well, just saying no, I guess. It's, but it's hard to say no. Yeah, but you can grow from that. You know, if somebody says to you, uh, you know, love your product, but it doesn't align with my brand, then at least you you go away then and think about brands that do align with yours as opposed to not getting any feedback at all. And then you start thinking, well, is my product really rubbish? So, yeah, I think we all need to get a bit more comfortable with that. Yeah, it's hard that, with that, though. It is tricky because I think saying no is not anything fun to do. No. No, I just say I really struggle. I do. I get trying to, you know, be my best business self. Uh, yeah, but as independent business owners, we we don't want to say no to anyone, but we also can't say yes to everything. So no, because I think you really have an appreciation for the cost of, and I don't mean financially, but the emotional investment and you know everything that goes into creating a brand or a product. You know, you you invest so much of yourself um in that you know it's almost like it's a part of you so to then put it out there for it to be rejected is is, is hard you know I, I've created a brand I'm on that you know I might not produce create any product but I do have a brand that stands for something and I want to protect it you know yeah of course but you do do quite a few collaborations which is fun I do. Is that something, have you, how have they come about? Has it been mainly you worked with that supplier and then the collaboration came about? Yeah. Or has it been that you've gone into the relationship thinking, you know, with the with the collaboration in mind? Yeah, so my experience so far, I've, you know, known a brand, stopped them, become, you know, friendly, close to, you know, those makers and then you know, we've decided to collaborate because I think it's good to, sorry, it, it's good for both brands because then you can cross promote and bring out a, you know, a new product that you can both sell. So yeah, they they generally come about again because of a personal relationship or, you know, or a good working relationship where the two brands work together well and, you know, you work well with the other person. So we've just got our heads together and it's very much like I've got an idea for this thing. And, of course, there's the beauty of me being a small independent shop, you know, the other person being a maker is that you can you can literally make things happen quite easily. There aren't big MOQs. You know, you don't need a huge budget. I mean, it depends what you're going to do, of course. But you can, again, you can test products. Yeah. So, yeah, so generally speaking, it's in my experience, it's been through, you know, just having a good working relationship with a supplier. And do you think you would go into it from the opposite of that? If someone said to you, I'm a maker, I think it would be amazing to do a Tinker Tailor bag, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really open to that because, I, um, uh, you know, it sort of, it helps to validate my brand and it takes it from beyond just being you know a, a little shop into something else so it helps to evolve my brand and yeah I'm definitely very open to anything like that yeah I think it's so nice to do that it's enjoyable for everyone <laughs> and for the customer too yes and it's 
to have a new creative product, you know, a project, sorry, new creative project. And also, you know, you can do these things as limited editions. So then you can create a bit of a buzz for both brands about this joint venture. Hmm. Yeah, I think they're a great idea. You know, we all want something a bit unique, don't we, these days? In a world where everything's quite homogenous, <laughs> we still want something unique. And that, you know, that gives you the opportunity to say, right, well, we're making, you know, I don't know, 100 tops and when they're gone, they're gone and then we'll move on to a different design. And I think people get excited about that because, again, you can bring them along on your, you know, on your journey. Sorry, I'm trying to avoid using the word journey, but there you have it. Um. (laughs) I end up using journey so much. (laughs) All the time. (laughs) Well, it is, isn't it? It's sort of bringing them along with your story. And they feel that they can be, again, you know, if you use your social media tools effectively, you can actually bring them along and help, help, you know, get, get your customers, your audience to help you make decisions about your product and help people to get excited. And then they feel like they're a part of your story. And, you know, hopefully you'll get some sales too on the back of it. Yeah, and you will have not just one-off sales, you will, you know, you will have customers that could keep coming back because they like what you do. Yeah, again, it's that connection, isn't it? Yeah. That connection with your brand. So what advice would you give to someone that is new for with wholesale and want to be stocked in shops? Sorry, that word again, flexibility. So be as flexible as you can. Obviously not to the detriment of your own business, but, you know, if you can be flexible in terms of, you know, instead of saying, well, with your opening order, you need to take 20 units. Well, like for a shop like of, the, of like mine, of our size, 20 units or something is a lot, you know. So that's a lot of stock. So if you can say, okay, well, you can have hmm. 10 units, that helps. If you can support with any marketing, or you know if there's a way I don't know if you're producing maybe essential oils well there are lots of ways in which they can be used and uh, you know I'm a shopkeeper (laughs) for want of a better word and I don't know how to use those things so I might want to stock your product but if you can support me by you know maybe with marketing maybe with doing demonstrations all of that kind of thing that really helps and then just being mindful of things like you know the fact that Shops do have quite heavy overheads um, and we do need to think about VAT and, you know, that margin does need to be in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all good advice. So I think that's all the questions I have. I have a few final questions. So can you tell us a brand that you think deserves a shout out? a retailer that you think is getting it right and your latest product find that you think is going to be big for autumn? Okay, so a brand that deserves a shout out, I'm going to say Join. So Join is a London-based brand of home fragrance and lots of other products coming soon. So Join is vegan, cruelty-free, using only natural ingredients and essential oils. So sorry, I should say that Join came to me uh, via Top Drawer and I stock their candles and a few of their other products. And I have also collaborated with Jenna, who's the founder of Join. But her credentials, passion and complete love for her product are second to none. I mean, she's the most impressive person I know. 
and a good friend of mine now as well. Uh, so I feel very lucky. But they're just really, really good products made with love and a whole lot of conscience. Yeah, I've, yeah I'm addicted. Um, she's really educated me actually in the world of candles. And like I say, she's, you know, growing her brand all the time, innovating with new products. Yeah, I agree. I have one of her candles on my desk. You know, as, a, as an entrepreneur and maker herself, she's an impressive person, but product speaks for itself. So that, that's Join. Hopefully you can put the link in your show notes. I will do. I will link both to her website and Instagram. So Retailer is a shop called Hero and it's in Stockbridge. And I came to Hero. I found Hero on Instagram via an influencer probably about four years ago. And I don't think they've been open very long. And it's the most beautiful shop, mostly ladies' fashion and a few kind of lifestyle goods. And they also run creative workshops. And Laura, the founder, is definitely one of my role models, I'd say. I'm sure things aren't easy for her because retail just isn't, but she always manages to make things look so stylish. Everything is so beautifully created. I literally want to live in her shop. It's absolutely beautiful. So, um, yeah, the shop's called Hero. And I I suppose I'll also point out that um, when I decided to give up my teaching job, At the time, I knew I wanted a retail business, but I didn't think I'd ever be able to own a bricks and mortar shop. So I thought, okay, I'm going to need an online shop, but I don't know how to start. All I did know was that I would need an audience to sell to because I knew the internet was a big place. So my starting point was to start writing a blog. And I did a blogging course with... Uh, Amanda, who used to be the online stylist, now she's Stark Living, but that was at Hero, and that was the first time I'd kind of properly come into contact with that kind of creative uh, retail space. Ah, that's so nice. Yes, it is nice, and I, you know, yeah, so I um, I feel quite sentimental (laughs) towards Hero, but yeah, I, I love it. I think it's a great space. And, you know, really exciting business and Laura's forever. So Laura, the owner of Hero, she's forever pivoting and diversifying her business and just trying out new things. And I have a lot of admiration for her. Oh, gosh, I don't even know how to answer your last question, which is about a must-see, must-see product for autumn. Might be a bit too early if you buy quite close and you are probably going to see that product at top draw, I would imagine. Yes, so definitely. Um, I think, yeah, that's that's probably a bit early for me. I'm a bit out of inspo at the moment, even though I am thinking about Christmas. It's June, but I'm thinking about what to stop for autumn and Christmas. But what I will say is that I think the trend for ethical products with a story um, is just going to continue to grow. So I think people just really love, again, knowing that their product is made by somebody, like, like a real person. And that there's a, you know, perhaps an inspiring story behind it. So I think anything that's ethical and, you know, made by a real person that we can come into contact with will be the sort of product to bet on for the next year. I think that's so important. I don't know if you can start a business now without thinking, at least considering those things, even if you're not branding yourself as an ethical brand but that you at least think about your packaging and how much air you're shipping and how you go about your business even if it's not in your core to be a 
ethical brand, you still have to consider all those things, I think. Yeah, and I think also other parts of being ethical, which is not just necessarily the green credentials, but also, you know, who your staff are, what you pay them, how how, how they work with you, you know, do you look after your people? Those things are, you know, mm. really important. And I think the consumer likes to know that. Yeah. I think you can bring your consumer in on that if you, or on social media, which you couldn't do before. So now people are interested. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's uh, definitely entertainment, isn't it, as well? <laughs> social media. Yeah, absolutely. A little too much of it, probably. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really good to have a chat. And I will link everything in the, the show notes, including your instagram feeds and your website and everything so people can find you but why don't we finish with you telling us how and where they can connect with you okay so you can find me on instagram and uh well i've got two instagrams one's for the shop uh just to make my life easier um so that's uh tinker taylor online shop and the more general lifestyle instagram is tinker taylor online and you can also shop with us at shop tinkertailor.online and if you're in North London anywhere near Bushhill Park pop in and say hello it will literally mean the world to me thank you so much for tuning in and listening today if you're listening during the launch week of 15th of July 2019 there's already two more episodes for you to enjoy in episode two i speak to henry davis who is a retail consultant and also the deputy chairman of the giftware association henry has over 30 years of retail experience both as a buyer and as a consultant and she has a lot of knowledge to share and then in episode three i speak to kelly from bookish and bakewell all about how she started selling to shops and what she's learned along the way i would love to see where you are tuning in so please do tag me over on instagram you can find me on at small underscore business underscore collaborative lastly it would really mean the world to me if you would take a moment to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes And if you could also take a moment to rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it to help others find it too. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. I hope that you enjoyed it and I hope to see you back here next week for the next episode. Until then, I hope that you have a great week. And if it's not such a good week, remember to be kind to yourself. We can only do so much. (music) 